Welcome to this special episode of the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andre Degeler, and this week I am taking a few days off, so Natalie and I were not able to record in the usual format. Normal programming will resume next week, but for today I have something special for you. If you have been a listener of our podcast for a while, you know that we talk a lot about e-scooters and urban mobility and uh, topics uh, connected to this. And a couple of months ago, I recorded a long in-depth interview with one of the let's say, less publicized startups in the industry. And since then, I have been waiting for the right time to run it. So I say the right time is now, and I am happy to offer you an hour-long conversation with Maxime Roman, uh, the co-founder of DOT. Among the topics that we discussed in this interview are uh, DOT's uh, rumored launch in the Netherlands, uh, the profitability of e-scooter startups, the problem or lack thereof that DOT is solving, the actual levels of theft and vandalism in the industry, and much more. So check this one out. I hope you like it. Hello, uh, this is Andre Degler reporting for Tech.eu. Today, in this rainy day in Amsterdam, I am sitting in the office of DOT, the e-scooter startup that has recently raised uh, uh, funding. And uh, I am uh, catching up today with uh, Maxime Roman, uh, the co-founder and CEO. Hi, Maxime. Thanks a lot for taking time. Hi, Martin. Talk. Great. So, first of all, I have to say that... Uh, uh, you just told me that you have not listened to a lot of our episodes before, and uh, what I usually uh, we often uh, talk I, I about. Make sure after. No, nah, it's it's all right. It doesn't matter. But uh, we do often talk about uh, e-scooters and uh, startups uh, in this space, and I'm usually the one who's most skeptical. So I usually uh, say that I don't really believe in uh, e-scooter sharing, and that I don't think that it's a great idea. Uh, for Amsterdam so and uh, for any city in general for that matter so uh, I'm sorry if I'm going to be a bit uh, too skeptical I'm going to try to restrain myself first question and this is something that we also discussed uh, with my co-host Natalie uh, last month why are you actually based in Amsterdam yeah actually it's uh, you know there are two questions that people keep asking me one is uh, how did you get uh, you know 20 million almost uh, right away from the beginning and the second is why the hell are you in Amsterdam when uh, you know, I am French and my co-founder is also French. So the first thing is we wanted to build a company that is a, a European-wide company. Uh, so we are not there to to address a specific uh, market in the Europe. So in that sense, we were looking for one of the biggest European uh, hubs uh, in the tech industry to settle there so that we could make sure we could recruit the, the right type of people. Right. And so we had four cities uh, that were interesting for us. So there was London, there was Paris, there was Berlin, uh, and there was Amsterdam. In the end, it came up with people that we met. We met some great people in Amsterdam, especially our head of uh, product, our head of uh, software engineering, also our head of uh, people. And so, you know, in the end, you build a company around people. So you say, okay, like we, we know these great people that are in Amsterdam. Let's build the company in Amsterdam just because these people are there. And it was as simple as that. It's nothing related to tax reason. Uh, <laughs> as some journalists ask me, it's, it's really about the people we found and, and building the, 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 the company around that. For me, I've lived in the past 10 years, uh, in, I think in five or six cities. So it was not a problem for me to move here. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you still have the second headquarters in Paris, right? Yeah. So we have also a, a, a much smaller uh, headquarter in, uh, in Paris, uh, which is more focused on uh, city operations. Because obviously in Amsterdam today, we don't have uh, any uh, operations on the ground. So what you have to think is that Amsterdam is the headquarter really focused on uh, product building. So both on the software and on the hardware, also with some central uh, finance function. And Paris is really focused on uh, operations, public policy, and basically anything that relates to uh, to city operations. Huh? Right. Uh, then we can also uh, do the, the other question that you mentioned. So how did you get those uh, first 20 million? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, happy to, to answer that. So I think um, I think the the first thing is that you know, you might not be convinced about the market, about, uh, you know, e-scooter or, or shared mobility, uh, but 
very clearly, uh, I think within the, the investment community, uh, and obviously for people like us, there is a strong belief uh, that there is a massive change uh, going on in cities in uh, when it comes to mobility, and that first micro-mobility uh, is going uh, to become a lot bigger and is going to replace in general uh, uh, cars in uh, in most of the European cities. And secondly, that people uh, want less and less uh, to be uh, private owners and therefore are much more keen to, I would say, lease vehicles, whether it's for short-term or, or, or long-term rentals. And so that's why there's this belief that, okay, there is a huge market uh, opening in shared micromobility. And so the question then that uh, becomes for the investors is, you know, who are the companies or who are the teams that might win this market? And I think for us, we had this advantage of having a great team that had already a lot of experience in this field, uh, which convinced the investors that, okay, there's a great team. We think that they have the right business strategy and uh, there's a big market. So let's put uh, money in this team uh, to win. So even then, it might seem that 20 million is a lot. Why uh, that much money? It's because uh, this business is extremely uh, capex intensive. You need to build, uh, to buy uh, vehicles in advance, uh, like, you know, out of your pocket and you cannot borrow money uh, for that because today it's not an uh, established industry. And the reality is that if you want to win in, in big cities, uh, you need uh, to have a density of operations that is fairly high. So meaning that if the customers don't find easily uh, your vehicles because your, your uh, density of vehicles is too small, you probably are not going to be a very successful business. So to get both, to be able to buy vehicles and to get this density of operation, you need actually to uh, have significant cash so that you have a chance to win this game. If not, you know, you know that you are never going to be one of the main players. Right. So you said, you mentioned that your team has experience in the field. What does it mean? Uh, did the people already work in uh, other uh, Yeah. Companies? So, uh, for instance, for operations, we, uh, we, with city operations, we had people that had worked before, including myself in the bike sharing industry. Right. Uh, also in Uber. So everything that is related to mobility. Uh, when it comes to, uh, to engineering, we had the people that had worked also first for top level. Uh, tech startups, but mm -hmm. also for uh, mobility in general, so that it, it's much easier for them to, to build the right uh, tools. And, uh, you know, you, you look at it for hardware. We have people from Tesla. We have uh, people from VanMoof. So we really try to offer uh, IoT. We have someone, uh, uh, some people that, that came from TomTom. So every function we try really to, to have some, uh, fairly high level of expertise so that we can move as fast as possible and, and hopefully not do too many mistakes. You know. Right. And uh, speaking of uh, uh, e-bikes that you mentioned, uh, you are also going to launch uh, e-bikes yeah, uh, for correct. dots, right? Yeah. Uh, when uh, and where is that going to happen? <laughs> uh, it's going to be, uh, so we are going to start probably doing some uh, trial, uh, uh, a pilot uh, in uh, September, October. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mass launch is probably uh, planned for November, December. Um, and we have not fully decided in which cities we are going to launch it so that, uh, but is it going to be one of your uh, current cities or a new place? Uh, it's probably going to be both. Right. <laughs> is it going to be dockless or docked? It's going to be dockless. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And new e-scooters as well. Mm. You're also launching. Yeah. Is it already, are they already out there or? Is it the, uh, the, the new e-scooter, no, it's going to, to come, uh, let's say in the next two months. Uh, right. so it's going to, to have new functionalities, but basically we are focusing on two things. One is to reduce the operational cost. So especially with the swappable battery, but also easier to repair and, and basically higher durability. And on the other side, we will focus a lot also on, uh, user uh, comfort so for instance suspension and this kind of thing mm -hmm. is this something you're building yourselves or you're ordering it uh, from uh, manufacturers elsewhere how does it work for it's, you uh, so this uh, specific uh, next version is a, a collaboration with a manufacturer so uh, it's a design that we are going to be the only one to have but mm -hmm. it's going to be a collaboration so we didn't start ourselves from scratch at this design 
uh, but the next generation of e-scooter is going to be totally designed from scratch from it. So we already were quite advanced. Uh, we have uh, partnered uh, also with a, a design agency. Um, and this is going to be something that is totally unique and exactly according to what uh, or the way we believe uh, uh, an e-scooter should be done to be uh, uh, durable, uh, to be repairable easily, to not cost a lot to operate and, and hopefully to have a, offer a great experience for users. So how long does it take to design a scooter from scratch? <laughs> it's a good question. Well, in my uh, kind of fantasy world, I thought it would be three to six months, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the case. No, I think the reality is about one year. Uh, okay. So, uh, so that's why it's hard because it's a, it's an industry that is moving very fast. But the reality is that if you really want to have your own design, it takes one year to to get it. And even this is already uh, quite good. Yeah, if you want to test uh, properly, you know, right. So speaking of uh, the plans uh, for the future, uh, something else that I read uh, in the news stories about the latest uh, funding round, uh, the 30 million, uh, is that you are going to launch in the Netherlands uh, mm. before the end of the year. So uh, when and where is that going to happen? <laughs> uh, we have not said that it would be for, for the end of the year, even if we hope to. Huh? Um, let's say that um, we have the desire to start in the Netherlands. And so we have established some, uh, uh, first, uh, discussions with a number of cities and also, uh, companies in the Netherlands for partnerships. Um, there are two requirements in the Netherlands. One, you need the product, uh, an e-scooter that is homologated uh, for the Dutch market uh, and the requirements, uh, for uh, the product standards for the Dutch market are quite different from the other markets. So what does it mean? For instance, uh, the, the Dutch, uh, required, uh, e-scooter to have air tires. So obviously in the shared, uh, e-scooter industry, uh, we prefer to have a uh, solid tires, even if they have maybe some right. phone inside for cushion, because it's much more durable, right? But. For whatever reason, the, <laughs> the, 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 the Dutch authorities require, uh, air tires. So we have to see. So there, there are a few other things like turning signals, um, uh, brake light. And so, uh, this means that we have to make a specific, uh, development or adaptation for the Dutch market. Uh, that, that takes a little bit of time. Then we have to homologate it and uh, which takes two to three months. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we can operate assuming that the cities, uh, give us the right to operate. So what I can say is that um, today we had discussions with Rotterdam. Mm -hmm. We think that, you know, it seems like it's quite uh, possible that uh, we might operate there. Amsterdam, unfortunately, uh, you know, we really want to be operating in Amsterdam because that's where we are and we would love to see actually our products uh, uh, on the streets, uh, but very hard to even get a meeting with the, the municipality of Amsterdam. So, Right now, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, you will see that I tend to be very uh, honest and transparent, but uh, we, we have, we are able to have meetings with every city uh, pretty much right. in Europe, except Amsterdam, where we are based, which is really funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's an interesting situation. Yeah. But I mean, you probably can also see that Amsterdam would be a very lucrative market, but that's also the reason why the city probably would not want to, to see, uh, e-scooters on its streets. Yeah, I think, you know, when you rethink about it, e-scooters, if they are very small, they take less space actually to park than, uh, than a bicycle, for instance. Uh, I, I honestly think that, uh, and when I, you know, I get people to try e-scooters, they really love it. I don't know if you have ever tried an e-scooter. Uh, but so I think there is definitely a part of the people that would love actually using the, the, the e-scooters or our electrical bikes in the future. So, so. You know, I think uh, then it's up to the to the municipality to to decide if that's something that they they want uh, or not. Uh, and well, well, very happy to discuss it with them. Uh, yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, I mean, with this, it's uh, probably a good moment to switch a bit topic a little bit and continue uh, to discuss uh, what problem you would be actually solving as an e-scooter company. I'm not sure if you read, but there was uh, this recent study in France mm -hmm. of uh, 4,500 e-scooter riders, and they were asked two questions. Uh, one question was uh, uh, whether they were actually from uh, the city uh, where they were 
surveyed. And mm -hmm. the other question was, uh, what would they do? What sort of means of transport uh, would they take if there were no scooters? So, and the results were that uh, most of these people, I think, I think more than half actually, uh, were from out of town. So they were not locals. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, uh, the most popular answer to the second question was that these people would have, uh, I think, walked. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, on the second place was that they would take public transport. And then the third place was that they would have biked. Mm -hmm. So so very, very, very small proportion of the respondents said that they would have taken a car, which is supposedly what the e-scooters uh, are there to solve. Yeah. So uh, uh, what are you solving then? I, I think if you take a city like, uh, let's take Paris, for instance, because, you know, Amsterdam obviously is an example of city where there are already a lot of bikes and basically yeah. cars are not uh, definitely uh, dominant at all. Uh, but you take a city like Paris, right now it's probably only about 4% of uh, of uh, people that use uh, bikes, you know, like, so it means there is 96% of people that only use either public transportation, walk, or drive. What it means is that you have a city and, you know, if you go to Paris, you sit, you know, it's crowded basically uh, in the streets with cars. Uh, there's a lot of pollution. That's the reality, uh, air pollution or noise. Uh, and there is very little space actually for, uh, you know, bikes or other types of, I would call it, uh, light uh, green uh, mobility. And I think independently from, uh, you know, okay, what mean of transportation these people uh, that use uh, the e-scooters uh, could have used, I think we participate uh, more globally to a movement where micro-mobility, uh, whether it's bikes, uh, e-scooters, e-bikes, or something else, are progressively taking or uh, occupying more space in the streets uh, and, and basically giving uh, alternative solutions to car, but it could be also to public transportation for people to move uh, within cities. I think what it means is that that justifies for these cities actually to invest a lot more in infrastructures that gives actually space to these forms of uh, green mobility, which means uh, more cycling lanes, more parking dedicated to this. And well, and the final effect is progressively basically this enables the cities to remove cars from cities. So it's true that if you take a kind of micro view, you might be right. But if you take, I think, the macro perspective, all the forms of uh, micro-mobility, uh, basically, and, and getting more people to use them, participate, I think, to an overall trend where you will get less and less pollution and cars uh, in cities. Uh, that's uh, what I think. After, uh, if you take uh, the case of DART, I've seen this study, but uh, the average uh, distance uh, uh, made by people on DART in, uh, in a city like Paris is, uh, I think, 3.6 kilometers, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So you could argue that uh, you replace, uh, you know, like uh, walking, but honestly, when it's 3.6 kilometers, uh, it's probably more people that would have either taken a car or taxi or bus or public transportation. But these people, okay, you argue, you know, the three first cases are great because you say, okay, that, that replaces uh, basically pollution. The fourth case where it's, let's say, a metro, Yes, you could say, well, maybe it would have been more green for them to use the metro. But I think you have to think also about the user, uh, like uh, the, I would say, I would call what I would call the joy of people. You know, like if you have the choice between being in a city on an e-scooter or e-bike and actually enjoy, you know, seeing the life outside uh, in the streets, uh, you know, being able to stop wherever you want uh, and uh, getting uh, crowded uh, in a metro uh, uh, in Paris, I think honestly, we can help also improve uh, the life of people, actually make it uh, more enjoyable by actually offering this kind of uh, micro mobility means. So what I'm saying is that it's not only about uh, the environmental uh, aspect. I think there is also like the convenient, uh, the convenience aspect, which I think helps also to make uh, the life of people that use them a bit nicer, you know. And when you talk to people that use e-scooters, usually, you know, they have always a big smile, actually. They are pretty happy about them, you know. So there's something. And there is a reason why, uh, you know, in, I think in Paris, there was a figure that 1 million Parisian out of 10 million have already actually uh, used uh, an e-scooter. The, the reason is uh, clearly that there's something that appeals to people, right? Well, Having used something once and uh, using it uh, on a regular basis are two different things. It's true, but 
go to Paris, you know, you see people everywhere using uh, electrical scooters. There is a reason why there are tens of, uh, uh, literally, I mean, tens of millions of strips that have been done in Paris on these scooters. Yeah. Well, I think the main reason is that there uh, used to be, until recently, if I'm not mistaken, 12 companies flooding the streets of the city with uh, electric scooters. There's definitely supply, but there are people using them also, right? Uh, so it's not like uh, the scooters are not being used. And uh, you also mentioned that there are only 4% four peop- 4 of people using the bikes. Why do you think it is in Paris? In Paris, I think it is... Um, Uh, to be honest, I think it's a problem first of infrastructure. Though. So, uh, the, I think the, the municipality of Paris has, uh, done a lot to, to build more uh, cycling lanes and to also, uh, sometimes remove cars from uh, specific streets. But the reality is that it's, it is still quite, uh, I would say dangerous, uh, uh, to, to cycle or to do e-scooter in the, in the streets of Paris, because sometimes you are together with the cars, with the bus, you know, there are cycling lanes, but that actually are also bus and taxi lanes. So, <laughs> so you never feel completely comfortable. And I think this means that a lot of people that could be cycling because they feel it's stressful, it's dangerous, they, they don't want to do it. So the municipality of Paris knows it. They are working hard. They are very actually pro uh, bicycle, but it takes time. Yeah. And there's a lot of resistance from the, The driving community. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So if it's dangerous, uh, then why would you offer people e-scooters that are even more dangerous? I don't think it's necessarily more dangerous than uh, than bicycle. Of course it is. They're faster. Uh, they have uh, smaller. They have smaller wheels, and they are much less stable. Of course, it's more dangerous. No, I don't think it is the case. So I think, for instance, if you talk about uh, speed, they're limited, right? Uh, so, for instance, in Paris, it's limited to 20 kilometers per hour. Honestly, when it's, much, it's, it's, much, it's much faster than an average bike no, really. no, actually, in the city. Yes. No, 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 it is not. I mean, I, I, I use the e-scooters. I get passed all the time by bicycles. So uh, I don't know what's the, I mean, when obviously there are red lights and so on, but on the, when there is no uh, red light or anything, uh, a bike can easily go over 20, actually. And that's the reality. Honestly, you can trust me. <laughs> Every time I do scooters, I bikes passing me. Well, I live in Amsterdam uh, and I see the speed with which the people normally go on bicycles. And yeah. I can tell you it's less than 20 kilometers per hour. Okay. An average would definitely be less. Okay. Average, yeah, for sure. Because you stop basically, right? But anyway, I mean, okay, if you like. Uh, but the, the, the thinking, you know, we have developed, at least for us, uh, uh, definitely we try to build the, the safest product possible. So that's why we had from the beginning bigger wheels. Uh, we had, uh, you know, uh, the mechanical or double brake system from the beginning. We had also a larger deck, like a center of gravity, which was lower. So we are doing everything uh, to, 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 to create the, the, the safest uh, experience uh, possible. Today, uh, you know, is it a more dangerous or bicycle or not? I, honestly, I don't know. You know, you could require helmets. You could uh, require helmets. Why, why, why wouldn't you? If, if, if you wanted to be as, uh, as safe as possible, why not just require people wear helmets? We recommend people to use uh, helmets, uh, definitely. But uh, the same as for bikes, uh, there is no uh, uh, regulation today that impose people to uh, to use uh, helmets. And actually, uh, if you take the case of, uh, of uh, the Netherlands, for instance, uh, or France, very clearly, I think the, the, the general thinking of people is that first, it's not totally proven, actually, that uh, there is a real safety benefit uh, in uh, wearing a helmet. And that's one of the reasons why, for instance, it's not compulsory to wear one also in the Netherlands. And second, there is also an aspect of uh, if you want to encourage uh, people uh, to use uh, different forms of micromobility uh, enforcing uh, the helmet is basically uh, not necessarily positive. Well, I mean, so basically you want to reach the final goal of uh, having the micromobility pushed forward yeah. uh, by compromising the safety of your current riders and not by not requiring the helmets. Is that what you just said? I, no, I think we recommend, we think it's good practice. Definitely, but uh, it's not something that we make it's true uh, mandatory, right? Uh, so we let uh, people choose. And in that sense, we follow basically the national regulations. So if there is a country uh, that makes it mandatory uh, to use the helmet, obviously we'll make it also mandatory. Speaking of regulations, uh, what's going on in Paris? Why did uh, half of the companies decide to leave and why did you decide to stay? 
So very clearly in Paris, they, you know, it's clear that there were too many operators. And uh, the fact that and there was a mix, I would say, also of operators with different types of behaviors. So some which were, I would say, uh, more responsible than, uh, than other one and probably also too many companies, right? And so the, the municipality of Paris uh, decided that they would uh, organize a tender where they would select most probably only two uh, to three um, uh, e-scooter companies. And so I think what's happening is that first, there are a number of companies that for different reasons believe that they have low chance to be selected. And so because of that, uh, they decide, okay, it's better to focus on another market uh, rather than staying a few more months, uh, making investment, and then, uh, you know, not being able to stay. On our side, obviously, we believe that uh, uh, we have high chance uh, to be selected. And the reason we believe uh, that we can be selected is that we really believe that we are probably today uh, the most uh, uh, responsible uh, and reliable uh, operator in uh, uh, the city of Paris. And why is that? Uh, is because one, uh, we operate uh, the scooters ourselves, so meaning that we have our own team that uh, do all the recharging operations and maintenance, which means that, for instance, every time an e-scooter comes back uh, to our recharging center, we inspect it systematically uh, before we put it uh, back in the street. So that means that, generally speaking, there is a high level of uh, of safety, I would say, from a hardware perspective uh, on our e-scooters. Um, and, uh, and second, uh, it's very clear also that the, the, the municipality of Paris uh, doesn't like the juicer uh, model uh, because, uh, you know, you have random people that are charging <laughs> e-scooters in some uh, buildings that sometimes, uh, sometimes even at the cost of the uh, the public state when it comes to social housing. And, um, and so we uh, obviously uh, do it in a, in a safe way. Soon we'll have the, obviously the swappable battery. So generally speaking, they, they have a lot more trust in the way we, we operate than uh, quite a lot of other operators. And how close are you in touch with the other operators? We are quite close. Uh, so we talk to each other, uh, we exchange information and, uh, and sometimes, you know, we, we also uh, exchange best practice. So overall, we want also uh, to get out the, the industry to be successful. Right. Uh, you also announced uh, this insurance partnership. Can you just really briefly explain what it is about? Yeah. So uh, we partnered uh, with uh, Zigo. And, uh, and so we are offering now for free. So, so far, you, uh, you register on our app and, and, uh, and uh, pay for a ride. Basically, you're automatically uh, uh, registered for insurance. And this insurance offers uh, two types of uh, coverage. One is the third-party liability. Mm -hmm. uh, and second is the, I think in English, the personal uh, uh, insurance. So if right. you injure yourself or whatever, you are you're covered. So today, uh, we believe that we are the first uh, e-scooter company to, uh, to offer that uh, in Europe. So uh, you are implying now that if I take, for example, a tier scooter in uh, Germany and injure, your, injure myself, I'm going to be liable and not the scooter company. It's quite possible. Yeah, I, I don't know the specifics of tier in Germany. I know that actually they just recently announced, I think, some kind of insurance, but it's not clear what type. Uh, but what I can guarantee to you is if you use a Lime uh, or mm -hmm. Bird a scooter today, you are not insured uh, neither for third-party liability nor for personal uh, uh, injury. Well, I suppose that if I can prove that the problem was in the scooter, then they would still be liable, right? Yeah, then uh, there might be, uh, obviously, if it's scooter. But, but, in your but in your case, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay, got it. Now, uh, and the, your prices are... Same as everybody's, everybody else's. Uh, not really, actually. At the, at the beginning, they were... Uh, but now, uh, Bird and Lime are uh, significantly more expensive uh, right. than uh, us. So depending on cities, uh, they usually they have the same unlocking fee, which is one euro. But mm -hmm. after, they charge more. So they, they tend now to change, charge between 20 to 30 cents per right. minute. And you they go for? Charge 15 cents. 15 cents. Now. And our overall goal, actually, uh, ultimately, is to be able to reduce price. So our goal is to make uh, our vehicles mass market. And we think that uh, at the price where we are today, which means that roughly the 
people pay, let's say, around three euros per, per rider, uh, it's still more expensive than uh, taking, let's say, uh, a public transportation uh, ticket, right? So if we want uh, uh, e-bikes or maybe bikes, actually, in the future, or e-scooters uh, to be something that people use every day, it has to be, uh, in our view, uh, you know, at the same type of price than uh, public transportation. So you are on the cheaper side of the uh, of the landscape of the industry and at the same time you don't uh, you don't use the juicer model so you have your own team recharging the scooters and you offer insurance for free how is it a viable business uh, so the the first the fact that you use juicers does not mean necessarily that your business is uh, cheaper to run on And uh, the reason is because the the juicers, uh, uh, they, for, for instance, let's take the case of the juicers in uh, in Lyon. I think they are paid roughly between uh, uh, six to twelve euro, right, per recharge. For us, uh, because uh, we can gain a lot more efficiency. So a guy uh, during a shift, he would probably be uh, picking fifty uh, to sixty uh, scooters. We can actually make uh, the operations a lot more efficient. Uh because we control it ourselves and we can obviously optimize the routing and everything, right? And so, which means that the cost for us of picking uh, e-scooter, recharging it and putting back in the street is less actually than what a, a lime or a bird basically pays, pays their juicers, right? In average. So that's the first thing. And, and on top of that, because we run our operation and obviously then we design our own vehicles progressively, you can actually bring down uh, uh, this cost. Uh, the second reason why it's not necessarily uh, more expensive, actually cheaper, is because you control much better your fleet, which means that actually you also repair a lot quicker your products when they have an issue. For us, the typical turnaround is just, uh, you know, six to eight hours. So when it uh, when there is a prime, it's repaired like the same day and it goes out which means that you maintain your usage, your fleet usage, or the availability of your fleet is much higher. So let's say if you have uh, 80% of your fleet or 90% of your fleet that is all the time making money because it's available uh, in the streets instead of, let's say, uh, 50% because there are a lot of uh, products, uh, vehicles waiting for repair, then suddenly you have a much higher return of uh, on your assets, right? Still, it's a very... Uh, uh, the margins in this business are... I would assume quite slim and mm -hmm. still uh, with the insurance uh, taken in, it's uh, still kind of, it seems like you are in a less optimal position, let's put it this I way, disagree. from the financial point of view. I disagree. I think actually uh, uh, mastering and integrating your own operations is actually uh, helps us uh, to build much stronger unit economics and actually you can run at a much cheaper cost than guys that try to outsource everything. Uh, this is very clear for us. Uh, on the insurance topic, uh, it has a cost, but honestly, it's not a, a major cost compared to all the other costs. Okay. Okay. And uh, speaking of outsourcing, and also you have all the people who repair uh, the scooters and all the people who recharge the scooters, they're all your employees. So they're all part of this 85 uh, people team. No, no, no. So the, the, so the 85 is what we call all the management teams. So these are the hardware uh, development team. Uh, these are the software uh, development team and, and, uh, you know, administration and, and, uh, and, uh, operations management. Then all the mechanics and the, the, what we call the patrollers, uh, they are either on, the, um, interim, uh, contracts. So meaning that they work for us in our warehouse. Uh, they are trained by us. They use our tools and everything, but they are interim contracts for flexibility reasons or they are, uh, for the best of them, employed directly uh, by us. So it's a mix of the two and they are not included in the 85 people that right. I mentioned. And how many, how many are all these uh, mechanics and uh, people who do the charging? Uh, I think at this point, I, I would have to review the figure, but I think it's probably about 200 right now. That's for four cities. For four cities, yeah. Right. Yeah. So speaking of four cities, you have raised 50 million uh, euros, which is uh, on par with the rest of uh, the major European mm -hmm. uh, e-scooter operators. 
At the same time, you are operational in almost order of magnitude uh, fewer cities than, uh, say, Voi or uh, Tyr or Sir or whoever else. Uh, Why is that so? Uh, Because from the beginning, we took a a view that the first thing that that really mattered was to build a sustainable uh, uh, business. So meaning uh, profitable, basically. Uh, and we knew uh, from our experience also before from the bike chain industry that it's quite hard to achieve. It's not something that is a given. And to achieve that, you need a really good product that is cheap to operate, that lasts uh, for a long time. Um, and, uh, and obviously that generates good usage. Uh, and on the same time, you need to really master your operations. That's why we decided to internalize it so that you can run them uh, in an extremely efficient way. In that sense, we said, okay, like, let's not go uh, too wide uh, to too many cities. Let's focus on just a few cities. Let's make sure in the cities where we go uh, that uh, we take a, a leading position. And, but also more importantly, that we build a model that is sustainable. So it's like, uh, you know, the concept store, you know, for the retail. It's like, let's build this concept store. <laughs> Once we know it works, let's replicate it. So right now, uh, we are more at the concept store stage where we are perfecting the model, just, you know, operating in a few uh, uh, big cities. And once we uh, we are convinced that actually it's a model that is totally uh, profitable and that can be replicated everywhere, then we start to go in much more cities. It doesn't mean that we stay uh, in the four cities that we are today, but we are not going to go to too many cities in the coming months till we are, uh, you know, totally till we get i would say the model right so that's okay focus. okay no th- th- this makes perfect sense mm-hmm. but then it begs for the question why did you need uh, uh, so much funding you still need uh, uh funding uh, uh so to when you look at it actually uh, just to we raised 20 million first right mm-hmm. when there were some of our competitors that were raising 50 million or more Right. Uh, and so that's like the second trench. What it enables us is basically to, f- uh, invest first in the e-bike uh, program. So, which is a, another vehicle that we are bringing uh, to the market, uh, to also do uh, the expansion to, uh, to more cities. But overall, uh, we prefer to put a lot more vehicles in one city rather than spreading this into too many cities. So if you look at some of our competitors, you know, uh, I won't mention names, but they definitely, they went into, let's say, 20 cities, but the number of vehicles that they have per city is much lower than what we have in each of the cities where we are. So we prefer to take winning positions where we are to totally leverage the investment that we make in terms of warehouse, in terms of infrastructures, rather than spreading our resources. Okay. So how many other cities are you currently in, uh, in negotiation with? You know, without uh, disclosing too much, uh, we we probably are not going to go in the six next months to more than five additional cities. Yeah. And how do you choose cities? We choose them according to uh, the potential that we see in these cities, and the potential is a, a combination of the the first the density. So how dense is the city? So therefore, how much usage can you expect for your vehicles? Uh, second, the infrastructures. So, uh, is it uh, safe for the users? Is it uh, how easy it is uh, to 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 use the scooters on the road? Um, third is obviously the regulatory aspect. So, does the city uh, want or not the scooters or the e-bike uh, on the streets? And uh, yeah, and I think that these are the main uh, the main uh, points or criteria that are taken in account. Uh, we operate at European level, so it's not uh, for us about a specific country. It's more uh, we look at all the cities at European level and we decide then, okay, we really want to work in this uh, city. And then we really invest, we build a warehouse, we hire a team, and we are really there for the long run. You know, it's not like trying and then uh, if it doesn't work, we move out. Uh, we choose and really aim to make it work, yeah. Why would you choose Brussels then? So much uh, cobblestones yeah. in the city center. It's, uh, I, th- it's, I think it's like the worst ever place to uh, <laughs> use, uh, use an e-scooter. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, no, definitely there are cobblestone streets. After, it's definitely it's quite popular also. But uh, honestly, Brussels, the problem is we could not start in the Netherlands um, mm-hmm. because at that time, there, there was a, the regulation for e-scooters was not yet ready. 
And so we were looking for a city which was not too far uh, right. from our headquarters where we could run the first pilot and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and have our first operation. And it was much better to be, uh, you know, at one hour 30 uh, uh, away than uh, choosing a much uh, city that was much further. Right. Yeah, that uh, certainly makes sense. So uh, going back to e-bikes, uh, I also wanted to see what's the difference, like what, for you, what's the fundamental difference between e-bikes and e-scooters? Why would you need both in a city, for example? Yeah, um, actually, when we started the project with Dart, uh, we hesitated a long time if we should start with e-bikes or with uh, e-scooters. And personally, actually, initially, I was more in favor of e-bikes than, uh, than uh, e-scooters. But the reality at that time is we saw, okay, like, oh, wow, like the e-scooter, there is really something happening. Like people love them. Uh, there is a incredible uh, usage. Obviously, the capex involved are also lower. So said, okay, like we think that in there is a bigger opportunity to start uh, with uh, e-scooters compared to, uh, to e-bikes. Nevertheless, uh, we think that uh, they are kind of complementary. Uh, we think that e-scooters are not for everyone. Uh, there are people that definitely uh, prefer to use an e-bike. They, they feel it's, uh, as you said, you know, uh, uh, more stable. It has uh, bigger wheels. Uh, you can sit on it. So for longer distance, it's also uh, more comfortable. So we think that e-bikes is better for longer distance trips. Uh, there is a category of people also that will uh, always prefer electrical bikes. Uh, and also in cities where it's more hilly, um, we think that e-bike is probably a, a better vehicle. So that's why you, we wanted to be able to cover different types of need. And we think depending on cities, we might have both or we might have only one, you know, and at least we have, uh, we have the possibility to, to use whatever vehicle makes sense. And for instance, London, uh, which is a city where we clearly want to go, uh, we could not start def clearly with a, with an e-scooter. So. Electrical bike is definitely a way to uh, to get in. Yeah. Are you lobbying in London for the e-scooter regulation? Uh, today we are not. No, no. Yeah. So I mean, I still I still kind of don't understand it uh, in full. Like, what makes you think that by putting all these uh, thousands of uh, e-scooters on the streets of the cities, what makes you think that it will bring the better infrastructure? I think uh, to give you an example, uh, in the, and it's true also in, uh, in all the cities where we are going, um, the, 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 but because we talked a lot about Paris, uh, I will, I will use that example. So today, for instance, the, the, the municipality of Paris is replacing, uh, car parking space with space that will be allocated to the e-scooters, right? So, Partly, obviously, it's because uh, they needed to find a solution uh, for the mess that uh, the e-scooters were creating. But also, it means that, okay, they saw that here there is you know, a lot of people using them. We cannot just uh, ban them because, you know, definitely a lot of people like them. So let's create more space for the e-scooters. And, and from, you know, with what type of vehicle this space is taken today, it's from cars, right? And so I think uh, it's just, uh, you know, 2,500 uh, parking space. It's not huge. But I think, again, it participates to this movement where more and more uh, these kind of uh, uh, light uh, green vehicles are, you know, uh, occupying more space uh, in the cities. And, and my opinion is that uh, this, this will give a lot of uh, ground and reasons for the, the municipalities actually to because of that, to reduce the space progressively for cars. Okay, I'm not sure it's a great example, honestly, just because this is the city solving the problem that you have created by flooding the streets uh, of, but, by the, with the scooters. The, the, city, the city of Paris, the only way for that, that's the thing. Uh, it's like uh, uh, the, the municipality of Paris, their, one of their main goals is to reduce the number of cars in the city. The problem is that it's very hard to, for them to, to justify... Uh, uh, removing space for cars if there is not something else actually that uh, that can replace it. And for them, yes, e-scooters on one side, for instance, is a problem because, uh, you know, the people complaining that uh, there are e-scooters on the, on the sidewalk, for instance. But on the other side, 
it's a great opportunity for them also because it justifies for them creating infrastructures, whether for bicycles or for green mobility in general, uh, because they need, indeed, uh, they can justify that they need a solution to uh, to basically uh, the fact that people love them, you know? So so that's, uh, that's what's happening, yeah. So basically, thanks to you, uh, so you basically compensate to uh, their lack of political will pretty much. Because I mean, you, you don't need electric scooters uh, to make a uh, to make a decision to remove uh, cars from the city center. I mean, look around the Netherlands; it's not uh, it's not the case. <laughs> it's, it's true, but uh, trust me, in other countries, it's quite it's a quite complicated topic. Uh, just take the case of Madrid. Uh, Madrid they decided uh, to to uh, remove uh, individual uh, cars from the center of Madrid. Just now, uh, the the. Uh, you know, there was a change uh, in the political uh, uh, power in uh, in Madrid, and they reversed the decision. Uh, you know, so uh, so you need uh, to really get the people uh, also on your side, right? Uh, so you need some way to justify. Yes, uh, you know, I need to give more space actually to non car uh, to non cars uh, because we have a lot of uh, people who vote for us actually that. Uh, that need that space, right? So if you don't have a uh, reason, it's much harder. I mean, I, I would love that actually. The <laughs> politics are uh, politicians are much more courageous on that topic, independently from uh, the e-scooter industry. But today, uh, it's not the case. Yeah. Right. Cool. No, I totally, I totally get your point on this. I do understand. But the thing is that uh, I think if we look one step further, then we may see that by solving this now. We may have another problem at hand uh, later with uh, too many, uh, with, with again too many scooters and uh, be being dangerous to pedestrians, for example, or anything. It's just. I think the e-scooters per se, I don't think they are dangerous uh, for the the pedestrian. I think the problem uh, that existed in the city of Paris is that a lot of uh, e-scooters at the beginning were uh, being driven on the sidewalk, which obviously is uh, is uh, bad for the for the pedestrians and, and dangerous. Uh, but I think the first, you know, the, now it's being regulated, so you see less and less of this kind of behavior. Uh, and I hope that the police will also enforce it. Uh, but also on the other side, it's like the, the, the more, again, we build infrastructures for bicycle or e-scooters that, in my opinion, can be totally uh, shared, the less it becomes a specific issue for the pedestrians, right? There's no reason why an e-scooter would be uh, more dangerous than an uh, electrical bike or than, uh, than uh, I don't know, something else. You know, it's uh, the same. It's also that I just see that maybe it will change over time. Now what I'm seeing is that e-scooters are mostly the tourist transport. Uh, for us, so we, we made a, a measurement also. And so it was uh, for, for the city of Paris, it was about uh, 40% tourists and about 60% uh, um, local people. It's clear that for tourists, it's amazing because it's a way for them to go around and, uh, and do sightseeing. So, and there's nothing that actually equates that today in, uh, uh, in most cities. Um, but what we see also is that there is more and more repeat usage. And so, uh, obviously we measure that. Uh, and so we see more and more and more people, you know, using these scooters on a, a daily or on a weekly basis. So there was something also at the beginning where we saw a, a big peak during the weekend. So that was part, partially tourists, but also like local people like that were, you know, doing some leisure activities during the weekend. But what we see is that the peak during the weekend is progressively reducing. So it means that more and more we have stable usage any day of the week. What does it mean? It means basically that it becomes part of the, the daily life of people. People are using it for whatever reason, you know, to go to the cinema, to go to restaurant, to go to a meeting, to go to the train station, whatever, you know. So, so I think at the beginning you have this thing why it's new. <laughs> let's try it. Let's have fun, you know, but it's not something you will use every day. You just want to, to have a bit of fun. But once you like it and you have uh, use it, uh, uh, a few times you, you understand that actually it's something that you can use uh, all the time. And actually in most cases, it's a quicker way and more enjoyable to go from, uh, from A to B. Huh? So. Also more expensive. Compared to what? Public transport. Yeah, but public bicycle. Yeah, yeah, but it depends on how you calculate the value, right? Huh? So I used it recently to, to go to the, to the train station in Paris. 
And honestly, I was okay. I have to take my train in 30 minutes. What's the easiest way for me to do it? Either I take public transportation, but I have to go uh, to walk 10 minutes to the, to the station. Then, you know, I might or I might not get uh, uh, the metro uh, on time. And then I have to get out, you know, and, and go to, to the train station. So that would have taken me probably 30 minutes. So it was quite tight. Would have cost me two euro. Uh, or I might take an Uber or a taxi, but again, I have to wait for a taxi to come. I might get uh, stuck in traffic jam and it might cost me, I don't know, uh, 15 euro. Um, or I take uh, an e-scooter, which is available right away. It takes me 10 minutes to go to the train station, it costs me three euro. It's true that it costs me one euro more than public transportation, but it's quite reliable because I control it, you know, and uh, I, I, I'm not getting a stuck in traffic jam or anything like that. And it's much quicker, right? So for me, the rational choice at that time was really to use an e-scooter. And I think there are many cases like that. Yeah. This is one anecdotal example, mm -hmm. and you were just talking about a repeated usage. And if we are talking, if we are, if we are talking about repeated usage, then we can't just assume that people would need to go to the train station every day. No, uh, that's an example, obviously. Right? Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm saying that it is more expensive than to use it than public transport if you want to go, for example, to work yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. or like doing it every day. Yeah, yeah, but I, I agree with you, and that's why I said, you know, our goal ultimately is to be able to to uh, to be at the same price level once uh, you know we manage to to basically reduce our costs. Uh, but we have to think it in also in terms of value. Right? For people, it's like, do I pay two euro? But maybe I, it will take me more time actually to go to where I want, and I will be a cramp into some kind of a, uh, you know, a metro uh, uh, train, uh, and I have to go through all the stairs and everything. Or do I take uh, something that is available right now? It takes me less time. Uh, I'm uh, outside, uh, you know, if it's not raining, at least I'm enjoying it. <laughs> uh, and I pay one euro more. And I think definitely there are a number of people that decide that actually for them, it's much nicer to do it in this way. Or they just uh, buy an e-scooter for themselves. And uh, if they use it every day, then uh, it's uh, going to pay uh, for itself within like three months, I think. <laughs> Potentially, yeah, it depends uh, it depends where they come from. It depends, uh, you know, we're not saying that uh, definitely uh, a shared scooter will uh, be there for every usage, right? Uh, so, yeah. so what do you think? Uh, if you actually want to make uh, uh, the e-scooter rides cost about the same as uh, public transportation, what would the lifetime of one scooter have to be for you and what it is now? I think it, it, so there are Two things. One is indeed uh, how long it has to last. I believe that uh, to reach that kind of price, it probably has to last in average at least one year. Um, one year. One year, yeah. Uh, and uh, then you, you, you have to reduce also significantly your operational costs, uh, especially the recharging costs, but also the, the repair costs. So basically, it means, uh, you know, overall, you need a product that is more durable. Uh, where most of the recharging and repair operations can be done uh, in the streets. So basically, you maintain a very high uh, availability of the fleet. And uh, you you uh, you want the LBC as uh, little repair as possible, right? And when you talk about recharging costs, do you, uh, are you talking about the electricity costs or the cost of the actual people who yeah. uh, go around and take the... Yeah, the, 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 electric, the electricity cost actually is quite minor. It's, it's mostly uh, today the, the, the labor cost and the, the use of the vehicle that is used to do the recharging right. operation. Right. So it has to last for a year. How long does it last now? Uh, in our case, we don't know yet. Uh, what I can tell you is that the, because, you know, we have been... Uh, only in operation since uh, February. Uh, what we know for sure is that ours will be definitely uh, much higher than six months. Uh, the reason why the lifetime uh, for in our case is not uh, um, is not I don't know two years or three years. It's not that much because of the the hardware itself because we we have really this strategy to repair everything. So we have uh, our own spare part supply chain. We have our mechanics. So. Right now, we have we don't waste any scooter. Uh, if they come and they need a repair, even if they went into uh, the river, 
we take them out, we clean them, we repair them, or we replace maybe some electronic uh, components and we put them back uh, uh, in the streets. But the, the main issue is definitely theft. So uh, theft is something that is not totally under your control. There are things you can do to reduce it, uh, like making your e-scooter non-hackable, uh, like uh, like alarm system or this kind of thing. But but ultimately, if someone really wants to take an e-scooter and put it in his trunk, uh, they can do it, right? So, um, so that's like the the key uh, determining uh, factor actually for the lifetime uh, of our e-scooter. Right. And I've just recently talked to another e-scooter company, one of those who decided to leave Paris, hmm. and uh, they also cited that the vandalism levels there were pretty high. Is that so for you as well? What we see is that it's reducing progressively. So mm-hmm. uh, every month, actually, it, it's reducing. I think it's our experience also from the bike sharing industry is that uh, at the beginning, you always have a much higher level of vandalism or theft. And it's because I think it's new. <laughs> and so there's this joy of, oh, wow, there's something new to You want to try it, you want to break it, it you want to steal it. Exactly. Great. <laughs> yeah. So there's this excitement. and. And then, uh, you know, when, uh, when people have done it or have broken or have uh, uh, put in the canal, uh, you know, a bike or an e-scooter uh, two or three times, I guess at that point, uh, the excitement uh, reduces and, <laughs> and then they go to the next thing, you know. And so that's what we are seeing a bit is that uh, we see much less vandalism uh, and, and every month it's reducing. So we think it's going to be less of an issue in, uh, in the future. Right. But can you put a, a number to it? Like, what the what's the percentage of the uh, fleet that's been either uh, stolen or vandalized? Uh, it's the 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 big. Uh, uh, let let's say that uh, it's such um, it's so important for the 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 competitive or the unit economics, I would say, or the profitability of a company that it's something that. Nobody in the industry uh, uh, tends to share uh, because it has such a big impact also in terms of like uh, investors or funding or this kind of thing. But what I can say is that um, within the industry, uh, the number I would say oscillates between probably about 5% per month and as high and I include, uh, uh, you know, like... Uh, uh, products beyond repair, mm-hmm. 30%, right? So it goes from 5% to 30% depending on players and how they do it. Obviously, we are on the better side, uh, but that's like the kind of uh, figure you have to think about when you think about industry. So when you hear about, for instance, like, the, you know, there was this article of, uh, of some city in the US where they calculated, mm-hmm. I think for Bird or someone that uh, it lasted only 30 days or whatever. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah. I think it's a very extreme case. Uh, and I don't know if it's true or not, but, but you know, it's probably a, an operator that was on the very high side where they were not repairing their e-scooter. Probably they had a very shitty, I would say, uh, you know, e-scooter that was breaking very easily, maybe a high vandalism. And then if you do 30% or per month, obviously you are, you know, at one month and a half, basically lifetime, right? Right. So before you scale to new cities, uh, which will happen, as you said, uh, in no less than uh, half a year and probably more, are you going to raise more money for that? Um, our thinking is uh, right now our, our full focus is really uh, uh, proving the unit economics, uh, making sure that the cities where we run uh, are profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we prove that, uh, uh, you know, in, including, I would say, also taking some leadership position in the cities where we are, then only we are going to uh, to raise more. But we are not in this uh, thinking of uh, spread, uh, spending as fast as possible. We have raised, uh, we just raised a uh, 30 additional million. For us, it, the goal is also to to make it last while we are testing, improving our product and uh, and, and just, uh, you know, aiming to be, I would say, a self, self-sustainable uh, business here. Yeah. And how far are you from uh, being profitable in at least one city and overall? We think that uh, if you include uh, CapEx, uh, OpEx, uh, and uh, the revenues that uh, you generate, uh, when I say OpEx, I include also uh, overhead, 
uh, we think that probably at the beginning of next year, uh, with the, the, the next generation of e-scooter we are introducing uh, in the coming months, uh, we'll be able to be profitable. But obviously, it, uh, we have to prove it, right? Yeah. You know, honestly, I mean, uh, and that's the reality. A lot of uh, e-scooter companies, you know, they communicate, they say we are already profitable and so on. I can tell you uh, no e-scooter company today is profitable. Well, it is a it is a tough market after all. Uh, all I can do now is just uh, wish you luck. Have a great luck in everything you're uh, doing, and uh, hopefully, won't see you in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm kidding, of course. Yeah. Uh, good luck with everything, and uh, keep uh, keep us posted about yeah. uh, any news coming from your side. Yeah, we'd love to. Thank you. Now, this is it for today's special episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you like this format and if you would like to hear more in-depth interviews like this one, do let me know on Twitter or send an email to Andre at techEU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. And if you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app to get new episodes of this show every week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. Thank you.